Says, get that India, big boy. Hello, and what is this? A midweek episode of the tip sheet? I'm John, aka 4020, and joining me as always is my good friend, 60s. How you doing, champ? Good morning, mate. I am brilliant. And in a finals week that features Parramatta, too much Parramatta is not enough. So that's why we're here today with this special edition of the tip sheet. We've had a few requests. Can we please do a preview edition of the tip sheet? And who are we to ignore the wishes of our loyal listeners? So we have the special finals preview tip sheet. So a special episode of a tip sheet calls for a special guest, one would imagine. And uh, today joining us is a man with decade upon decade upon decade of experience of operating in the NRL at the highest level. And a man that oversaw the resurrection of the Eels from the ashes of the 2016 salary cap saga. So today joining the tip sheet is none other than former Eels CEO, Bernie Gurr. How you doing, Bernie? I'm good. Glad to have you on the tip sheet, mate. Thanks, mate. It's great to be on. Uh, Bernie, uh, it's it's now very close to uh, 12 months since your time with the Eels wrapped up. It would have been an amazingly busy time, a really challenging time in uh, over those three years. What's been happening for you since that time? Yeah, you're right, Greg. It was, a, it was an extremely busy three years at the Eels, but it's extremely uh, gratifying from my point of view. Um, you know, Paramount is a great club. There's great people within the club. Um, I'd like to think I made some contribution along with some other terrific people on the board and, and the management and the staff there over three years. I think the club's now set up on a very good path. The governance is good. We have good financial sustainability. Our football program's in good shape. Um, and there's just general stability around the club. I think we've injected a bit of trust back into the club with all the stakeholders Absolutely. during that period. And that's continued on this year. Um, when I've left. So, look, I think, you know, I think the Parramatta fans hopefully understand now that the, the group of people that have been involved in the club for the last four years, and I was lucky enough to be part of that for three, you know, that, that we really care for the club and we want uh, we want our fans to understand that, that we're just trying to build a club that the fans could be proud of. So, you know, my three years there were great. They were very, very busy, as you alluded to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was part of the deal. It was part of the thing that when Max Donnelly brought me in, um, you know, it was going to be a, it was going to be a rebuild. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I think we've got there now. It's thanks to a lot of good people within the club, and I couldn't be happier than seeing Neil sitting at third after the end of the regular season of 2020. Yeah, back-to-back finals appearances, uh, a fifth place and a third place finish um, after that 2018 season where everything sort of went awry. Um, that's a fair credit to the rebuild on and off the field, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and these things, you, you can have your aberrations. And I think 2018 was that for us. We were we were in the midst of trying to rebuild the club, particularly the footy program, around just getting the right players into the club. And as, as you guys, your follower closely, would understand, the free agent markets after 2017 and 2018, there wasn't a lot of great free agents on the market. And, you know, good good clubs these days, they lock up their elite players, and that's what usually happens. So it was pretty unique. The only two, I would say, elite players around on the market at that time were probably... Uh, Tedesco and, and Cooper Cronk, and they both landed at the Roosters. 
Um, but otherwise, you know, you've got to be very strategic in how you go after these players because, you know, clubs are more sophisticated these days. They don't let their elite players get off contract that often. So, you know, within the context of all that, I'm really happy with the roster that Brad, Peter Sharp and myself contributed to putting together. And, uh, you know, it's just been great to see them operating well and playing well this year. Now, as I mentioned before, you've, you've had decades of experience operating at the highest level of the game. And you would have seen some um, fairly unique scenarios when it comes to seasons, the Super League war, you know, the whole ushering of the professional era of rugby league on a high high level in that regard. How does the, the 2020 COVID impacted season rate amongst those different campaigns? Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's been a, an unbelievable year, you know, in the broader global context. Uh, you know, clearly we've not seen anything like it before. Um, and, you know, particularly in the communities, you know, you, you feel for the people that have lost jobs and, they may be doing it tough economically there that people are really careful. Within that, you know, it was great that the NRL could get the season back up and running. It's been such a unique season. We had two games and we had a basically a two month break. We had eighteen we've had now had eighteen straight games to finish out the regular season. There's been you know, no buys, no origin. We've had a rule change. Um, the six again rule came in. The other change they did make was was going back to one referee. So, you know, it's been a it's been an unbelievable season, and you know there were some thoughts during that two month break earlier in the year that there'd be an asterisk against this season. Well, you know that's that's just not that's just ridiculous because you know this has been a brutal competition. Maybe the nature of this year's competition has contributed to um, the number of injuries we've had this year. There's been you know comparatively a number of injuries, but you know as always in most sporting competitions, you know the cream rises to the top. Now, this year we played 20 regular season games versus 24 in, 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 the, in our usual regular season schedule. But, you know, let's be honest, particularly given the nature of this season and all the sacrifices certain clubs and players have made to get our competition on, you know, the 20 games we have had is a very, very rep- representative sample. And over a 20-game period, 20-game uh, schedule, you're going to get the best teams rise to the top. And that's what's happened. But, you know, you, you know specifically one thing I did think about was that six again rule that's had an impact on the game it's increased the flow of the game there's more ball in play i looked at some statistics for the first eight or ten rounds following the introduction of the six again and the game was actually not faster everybody there's there's a there's a misconception that the game got faster by that i mean people think the play the ball speed got faster but that's usually the measurement of, of the speed of a game it did not the play the ball speed was Roughly the same as it has been in prior years in that three to four second per play the ball bracket. What it has done though is had more ball in play. There's been the momentum has become more important. We've probably had an increase in fatigue, but what you can understand on the fatigue side too is that we still have eight interchanges so that a lot of the teams can handle the increased fatigue. Um, so that's been an interesting thing that I've seen this year. The other thing around the six again was that. You know, whilst the the attacking team does does get six more tackles, the defensive team's ready after the six again call. That's the reason that the attacking team receives six again is because we've had basically an over dominant tackle. Therefore, by definition, the defensive team is ready. So it hasn't made the game faster, but it's made the game more continuous. I think it's been a good uh, initiative. I think the experiment around expanding that now to not just play the ball infringement, but to the 10-metre rule will be an interesting thing. We'll see where that goes. All these things have, all these rule changes have consequences, and we're yet to see the 
whether the accumulative consequence of six again to play the ball plus six again to 10 metres will have an impact. But the other thing I did notice um, is that you know, people keep talking about a faster game. Our game is fast enough. I've been watching this game for 55 years and we do not need a game any faster than we have now. The game is fast enough. We need to consider the players. If the game gets too fast, and if we did reduce significantly the play the ball speed, all that does is promote dummy half running. We saw this in Super League back in 1997. The one you've got to get that balance between attack and defence. If every play the ball was jet quick like touch football, you would what you, you wouldn't promote um, skillful ball movement. All you do is promoting dummy half running, and that's not what we want to see. I think we've got the balance about right where you know if you win the ruck, you'll get an advantage. There's a reward for good go forward that allows you then to, to play off the back of that and play wide. I like that. So I think the speed of the game is fine. And, you know, the great ball players over the years, Beats and Sterling, Cliff Lines, they, their great ability is actually not speeding the game up. It's actually slowing it down. Yeah. And, mm, that's and a very good seeing, point. Yeah. You're, seeing a little, you're seeing a little bit of that now. Nathan Cleary... He is adjusting the tempo and the speed of his runs in his game. And you're seeing a bit of that slow down, speed up, that tempo um, change in Nathan Cleary's game. So, you know, it's been an interesting comp. The other thing, I, I looked at a few stats around it, actually. And statistically, there's a bigger gap this year. And whether it's the nature of the competition, whether it just happens to be where it falls in the context of where teams are at in their football development, but there's a bigger gap this year between the good teams and the bad teams. Um, if you look at the bottom four teams, this year they only won 22% of their games. Mm. In prior years, they were winning 30, around 30% of their games. So That's the, a big difference. That is a significant a big difference. If you look at the top, then you take the top four teams, they've won about 79% of their games this year. In the last two years, they were anywhere between 67 and 70%. So yeah. you are seeing a difference between the top four teams and the bottom four teams. There is a bigger gap between the very best and the, and the very um, and the very worst teams in our competition. That may be an aberration. We'll see where that goes next year when we hopefully get back to a more normal schedule. But, you know, as always, the NRL, it's, uh, it's the world's best soap opera. It's <laughs> You're not wrong, so, <laughs> Can I just... Very unique season, but I've, I've enjoyed it immensely. Just on your last point, Bernie, do you think not having lower grades this year contributes in any way to that statistic? Because I'm just wondering whether uh, players in uh, in those lower teams that might normally push up, uh, show a bit of form in lower grades, aren't getting a chance, and, and there's just not that opportunity to bring in new blood with form or um, uh, game time behind them. Look, you know, I, as you guys know, I'm a huge proponent of the developmental pathways from 16s yeah. to 18s to 20s to second grade. I think that's that's a great advantage. It's a, it's a model, quite frankly, that every other sport in Australia is, is jealous of. But I, I'm not sure it had a, a huge impact on the result because usually those younger players you bring in, they're not usually the difference makers that are going to drive results. But from a, from a much broader context around the game, it's really been a lost season developmentally. And, and, you know, we are a developmental game. That pathway system that rugby league has is, is served us very well for 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, we get a lot of things wrong in rugby league, but one thing we get right is we can develop players through our 
game. Now, do we need to still work to improve the developmental model? Yes, we do. And a certain clubs doing all the, a lot of development, others doing none. Yes, there's part of that, and there's reasons for that. But uh, I'm not sure. I just think it's an interesting thing around the top four and the bottom four teams, and it's something the league's going to have to keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, it's manifested itself with the poor results of the worst teams this year. And just a, another point that you raised about the speed of the game, one of the rules that they trialled in those, uh, let's call them dead rubber games from last round, was eliminating some of the scrums. From my perspective, the scrums give what I think is almost a, a necessary little bit of rest time for uh, some of the players just to get a breath back. And we don't have that many of them in the game as it is. And I'm thinking to remove that uh, natural uh, break in the game is really going to push the players. When you talked about how important it is to look after the players. I think that makes it a little bit harder on them. And I, I think it's a it's a part of the game that obviously it offers a, an attacking opportunity that's there. And I'd hate to see it get the game get to a stage where it's just a turnover of possession. And to me, that's where we start to head towards almost like a touch football scenario where uh, one of the basics of the game is removed. Yeah, look, I, I've, I've thought long and hard about the scrums. I think the initiative this year where you can have the scrum set at the 20, the 40 or, the, or in the middle of the field is a very, very good initiative. I think it adds, it allows the team to be creative. I don't think a lot of teams have quite frankly used it creatively. Agreed, enough. agreed. Yeah, I think, it, I think it offers a very good opportunity. I think a lot of the coaches are locked in their, locked in their, their set ways around how they think they should attack from scrums. I like the idea of, of isolating at least for, for a set number of times per game through a scrum, uh, isolating you know 12 players at one spot and allowing the other players to, to potentially do something. I think there's a I think there's a lot of scope to improve the creativity around the use of, of, of the ability to attack from scrum. Yeah, it's about mismatches yep. and and sort of getting your guys lined up against the ones you you want. And the scrums give you the offer, or the new scrum affords you the opportunity, doesn't it, with the three different set positions? But, um, well, it does, yeah, it, it, exactly. The other thing I just wanted to mention while we're talking about these rule changes is that um, I, I also had a look over about a six or eight week period around the rule changes. The teams that won the six again during a game, they won less than 50% of the games. Um, so the six again is not a really a, a huge indicator of whether you're, if you win the six again, it's not usually a great indicator. Yeah, it's a, that's a fantastic. Fantastic correlation too, because one of the stats we've been keeping track of on the tip sheet is that the Parramatta Eels have consistently lost to play the ball speeds, and despite that, in, in the games they've lost to play the ball speeds, they've invariably won the game quite comfortably. So it's funny exactly. how you see those little statistical aberrations. It is, I, and I looked at that same speed as well. The play the ball speed, even not just Parramatta at one stage when we were running first, we had the worst play the ball speed in the competition. Mm -hmm. So that supports what you're saying, and 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 I looked at that stat as well. You know, at the end of the day, the best indicator, the best indicator of the teams that win uh, is present is possession. Yeah, he who controls yeah. the ball controls the game, if, right? If you if you if you have you know sixty percent of the ball and you can run anywhere over seventy five percent of completions, you are really setting yourself up and giving, doesn't guarantee it, but you're setting yourself up to win. For example, when South uh, beat the Roosters the other night, they had 61% of possession. Um, that that, that yeah. echoes the stat against us for both Penrith and South Sydney in two of our 
uh, I suppose, weaker performances of the season. Although against Penrith, I think we showed a bit of defensive resilience considering the circumstances. Possession yeah, exactly. was um, well over 60% in favour of the two teams that won that night. So That's right. And possession allows you to, you know, build momentum, builds pressure, increases fatigue in the opposition, etc. All those usual things. But to play the ball speed, I'm, I think it's... I think play the ball speed is dramatically overrated because most play the balls are statistically between three and four seconds and that doesn't usually have a, what I'll call a material impact collectively over the course of the game. Yeah, obviously a fast play the ball can open up an explosive play in a given circumstance, but like you said, Bernie, when you wait it across the course of 80 minutes, I think the, the difference in fractions of seconds can be negligible. Exactly. Now that was... Uh, a, sorry, you go. I was just, oh, sorry, I was um, just going to come back to uh, Parramatta specifically at the moment, Bernie, and looking at the season as a whole, it's been a year that's given the Parramatta supporters plenty to cheer about because there's been more than our fair share of wins and, and finishing third. But despite of that, there's quite a bit of widespread criticism uh, about the Eels and, and even coming from within Parramatta's own fan base. I was wondering what your impressions are of Parramatta in 2020. Look, there's an old saying in US sports, you are what your record says you are. We finished third, so that's that's the reality. We, we've done a terrific job. Brad Arthur's done an excellent job to get us to third. We had 15 wins, which is 75% of our games. Last year, uh, we won 14 games out of 24, which is a 58% record. So when you look at it statistically, we've done a very good job. And in a broader context, and perspective is important, you know, teams take time to build. When you get to a certain point like you are, like between this year and last, last year and this year with the Eels, you're looking for incremental games, but gains. And I think when I look at the Eels, and I've watched every game, um, we've, we've continued to evolve in 2020. Uh, one of the knocks on the Roosters was that we weren't resilient enough even last year. Um, this year, we've increased the number of wins in close games. Games decided by eight points or less. I think we um, won nine and lost two, whereas the prior year, we only won five and we lost nine. So in 2019, last year, we had more big wins and losses. We've narrowed the gap between our best and worst, which is one of the uh, indicators of the good teams, and we've won the closer games by nine to two, which is, again, an indicator of the better team. So what that tells me is there's an improved resilience in the team. Uh, shows that we're, we're prepared to get into the grind. Um, we've also, this year, another incremental gain I see this year is that we've competed better against the best team. Mm-hmm. Um, we beat the Panthers. We beat the Raiders. We beat the Storm, admittedly under strength, but we got the job done. We did what we had to do. We pushed the Roosters. We led them with 17 minutes to go. We led the Roosters in, in, in a classic game. So, again... These things of win close games, improve resilience, playing better against the better teams, they're the sort of incremental games, games you're looking at. The other one you're looking at is the development of players, and I'll, I can talk about that in a minute. But it's an interesting... I think we've developed this year in that sense. Interestingly, in last year we finished third on points four. This year we finished ninth because the last six or seven weeks we really haven't done that much with our offense. Now, the, the critical point, though, is last year we were the seventh-best defensive team. This year we're the third. That 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 stat alone, being the third-best defensive team, correlates to where we finished in the competition. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
It all, it's also very consistent with winning those close games. It's also consistent with competing better against the better teams. Now, are there certain areas of our game defensively that we can continue to work on? Yes. So, reality this year is that statistically we've, we've, we've got a little worse offensively and we've improved defensively. And one yeah, of it's something like about uh, a drop of something like two and a half points per game offensively. But the improvement with uh, defence is, I think we've conceded close to or around about eight eight points less per game, which is it's actually yeah, I think it's around five and a half less per game, which is a lot. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, your points valid. There. It's improved, absolutely improved statistically from a defensive point of view. I was just going to say one of the things that jumped out to me this year in terms of that championship mentality. And um, despite our offensive miscues that you alluded to, Bernie, during that back up, back end of the season, is that at no point did the Eels ever drop consecutive games. Exactly, and you know it shows too that you know in the Tigers game was a good indicator there of that improved competitiveness and resiliency. Which we scored critical points at, at critical times, and, and you know we were down with ten minutes to go there, and we got we still got the job done. You know, when I look at our team, I think you know offensively we've probably. There's, there's, I think there's a bit of an over-reliance on the offloads. As we all know, you have to earn the right to uh, to offload the ball. Fair. Um, the other thing that I've noticed too is that, you know, Mitchell Moses was injured for a while there with his calf injury and then it wasn't just the games he missed, but even the first three or four games when he came back, he was clearly hampered by that injury. Dylan Brown's now missed a lot of games. So, you know, Gutherson has stood up, obviously, um, but that cohesion of the spine, to have Marnie, Moses, Dylan Brown and Gutherson playing regular, consistent football together, uh, that is absolutely imperative, and most of the good teams do that. Um, so, you know, I think with Dylan coming back this week, that's a massive thing for us, albeit I thought Will Smith was terrific last week. Um, just thinking about our team this year again, you know, we talk about incremental gains and you're looking at player development. I think we continue to see the ongoing development of Greg Marnie, Dylan Brown, um, Oregon Kafusi, Ray Stone, Andrew Davey. They've all continued to. We've, we've seen legitimate development in them. And I think the recruits, you know, Campbell Gillard's back in his best form. Uh, Ryan Madison's proved to be a, a really good recruit. Um, Clint has been outstanding. His leadership, um, we all know he's the heartbeat of the team. His involvement in, in every game is, is phenomenal. Uh, that manifested itself in that try-saving tackle, uh, that game-saving tackle yeah. he made on, on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know, Junior Paulo's taking his game to another level. He's probably the most skillful front row, but he, he doesn't neglect doing the hard yards either. So I think Junior's, he should absolutely be in our state of origin squad. And Nathan Brown, I think, is continuing to improve. You know, he's a, he's a spark plug for our team. It's tough, but he's still improving his game. I think he's still improving his pass selection. I think he's becoming more of a leader. It would seem to me that he's becoming a more talkative person within the group. So, look, overall, I think there's been incremental gains this year. Do we need to... Are we sitting there with, you know, the Penrits and and Roosters and Storm? I I don't think we're as far behind as people think. Um, and, yeah, I've got, got some confidence for, for the game of the playoffs. Well, you kind of preempted me wonderfully there with... Um the, the sort of micro-level strengths of the Parramatta Eels. But uh, Saturday night, 7.50 prime time, it's a it's a game that I described earlier as a, a monkey that's on our back that's the size of King Kong because the Melbourne Storm, it's without a doubt Parramatta's hoodoo team when it comes to the elimination games in, in finals. 
How do you think the Eels can match up on a macro team level and a micro player level, strength versus Melbourne Storm? Look, this is the best Parramatta playing roster, I'd argue, for you know, maybe 20 years, maybe more. So, you know, I think we've got a very we've got a very good squad. The Storm are well coached. They're very clinical. They're well drilled. They're a big, strong side. The Storm are a big, strong side. They're very physical. No doubt. They have excellent formations in attack and defence. The bottom line is when the players run out in the Storm jersey, they know the game plan. That generates confidence. And all of those above factors, um, that allows them to build momentum and pressure. And that results usually in good possession statistics, good field position, and obviously they win a lot of games off the back of that. The point around being our hoodoo team, you know, they beat us 64-10 last year at Suncorp and 32-0 in the playoffs. So, look, they're going to be very confident. They will be, you know, if you went into their inner circle, they'd be very, very confident that they can get our cash. I'm sure of that. And they they, they start fast. Do you remember that semi Yeah, I think that, that's, that's key, isn't it? Negating that fast well, start. What they, what they, yeah, what they do is Melbourne come out, they bully teams early. They're very physical. They play fast and furious. And... You know, it all starts with Cameron Smith. He drives that engine that is mm-hmm. that is the Melbourne Storm. Um, but you're right. This is the next step. This is another part of, of our development as a team and a club. We need to beat a top team in a semi-final game. Melbourne is the perfect team to do that against because they've been a bit of a hoodoo team for us. But I think we match up well physically. I, look, we're we're a big, strong side as well. We're an athletic side. We have good. Um, we have, we have good athletes in our team, so athletically, I think we'll match up fine. Tactically, we need to be we need to go into this game very confident, committed. We can't hope to win. We've got to think we can win. That's a mentality thing. But again, most of these big games, when you go back and analyse big games, they're one on the basics. They're not games where you know you want to do trick shots. Although I wouldn't mind the Mitchell Moses Will Smith trick shot. <laughs> That would, that would be nice to see again. But the bottom line is, I think the two key things for us are our defence. I think we've got to get off the line quickly. I think our line speed has slowed a little bit as the year's going on. We need to get off the line quicker. And we need to be aggressive. We can't be passive against the bully. You've got to go in there. And at the end of the day, teams that win the games, particularly playoff games, they win the collision. So we've got to be very aggressive. In attack, I think... It, you know, you got to, we've got to push up, run hard, be positive, you know, pass the on, all that good stuff. But we, our kicking game is imperative. If we can keep the storm out of our half, play good field position, get into the grind with them, um, I think we can go, all right, we did that in the semi-final in Melbourne in 2017 when we were rank outsiders. It was another Cameron Smith milestone game, so the football gods were shining on the Melbourne storm that day. I'm being now now listeners can't see us evidently because this is a podcast and of the audio writing not the video one but I'm just nodding along as Bernie's talking because he's just hitting on you know key point after key point when it comes to uh, Parramatta strengths versus Storm and I suppose the other thing he mentioned prior to this was that selective offloading game I think that Melbourne loved to eat up uh, sort of that you know grind fest uh, game at times and obviously you've got to be physical and play direct too but I think Parramatta's ability to offload selectively could prove important when it comes to potential game breaking ability 
Yeah, the offloads are important, but we, what we can't do is we can't offload and then shift through. A yes, exactly, flight. and just go and go nowhere with it. Absolutely, you've got to be proactive and, and get in the front to, foot. You've got to attack fast. When you have an offload, you've got to attack fast and furious with about one, maybe two passes. Yes, no more. If you pass three and four passes off an offload, it gives the defensive team time to reset. To realign, so, absolutely. You know, players like Gutherson, Brown, Moses. If they can play fast and furious after an offload, then that that is a good strategy. It's it's but but again, you have to earn the right to do that. If you if you start offloading when you don't have momentum, you'll get smashed. So, but I think you know, I think we have some players, you know, Paulo, Campbell, Gillard, and Madison. They, they've all got an offload in them, uh, but we just got to do do that selectively. Uh, the kicking game. In big games, is imperative because the kicking game is so important. The long kicking game, the short kicking game, where you're looking to get repeat sets, build pressure. Because you're playing the best teams, they're the best defensive teams. You mightn't score in that set. You have to. You might take three sets within the 20 meter of the red zone area. You, you have to be patient. Uh, you have to be disciplined. Minimise your penalties. No play the ball areas. And again, as I said before, you got to win the collision in these games. Bernie, you've just covered a fair bit about our strengths and also what needs to lift, to increase our chances. And a little bit earlier, you were talking about some of the key players for Parramatta. I see that there's a, a key in for us this week in a very under, underrated player in Murata Nukore, who I believe when it comes to continuing to win the middle when there's the first interchange that happens, he, he's crucial in, in Parramatta's match plans. Absolutely. I'm you guys know I'm a huge fan of Murata. I think he's a he, he's a terrific player, and you know they there's been a lot of compliments about good young forwards that are running around in the NRL, but people tend to forget Murata. I think he's good as any of them. I have a huge rap on him. I think his best football is is, is ahead of him. He's tough. He's coachable. I know that for a fact, and I think his leg speed when he comes on as a first interchange is imperative for Parramatta to continue that that physical grind through the middle of the field. These games are won. These games are won by your ability to win that 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 real estate 20 metres either side of the play, the middle of the field. You've got to win that. You've got to have power, physicality, aggression. You, you must win the collision or at least not lose the collision. Now, you can do all the things we talked about um, and you may not win, but I'll guarantee you if you do win, you, you have to do those things. Yeah. And people talk about uh, some of the issues that we've had on our edge, and there's no denying that there's been some defensive issues there. But when it's been really a long way from where it needs to be, I believe it's been in games where our middle hasn't been as effective as it should be. Yeah, that's a fair comment. Um, the thing is that no one runs edge plays and edge formation more clinically or successfully than the Melbourne Storm. Mm -hmm. If we are... Our right side of Madison, Moses, Wonga, Blake, and Blake Ferguson are not communicating and sticking to the systems that Brad wants them to do. They'll get exposed. There's no doubt about that. If Michael Sevo is not following the instructions of uh, Michael Jennings defensively, and that because Michael Jennings is, a, is an outstanding defensive centre, he understands uh, defensive formation so well, and Michael sometimes uh, falls out of that formation. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Jenko's a very good communicator out there as well. Jenko's a great communicator. He's been a great teacher for Micah. But if Micah can stick with Jenko, if Jenko goes in, Micah goes in. If he, does, if he holds, Micah holds. But 
look, if we can, if, if our edge is solid defensively, that will go a long way to making sure that we have a good defensive performance. Which, quite frankly, if, if we don't defend well on the edges, then you know we're going to be in trouble. I agreed. Agreed. Now it's hard to believe it, um, given that this is a Parramatta's podcast, but there are a couple other games happening this week. So um, I'm just going to give you a quick run through and see what your take is on on the three other finals this week in the NRL. Starting on Friday sure. night, this is a big one for you, given your ties historically to one of these clubs. The the minor premiership Panthers, who stormed out to a one-loss season and one-draw season, absolutely fantastic effort from them. So credit to our um, our cousins out further west. will host a, a very vengeful Sydney Roosters outfit who are going to look in the bounce back from an embarrassing 60-8 to eight blowout against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Um, how do you see this one shaping up, Bernie? I think th- th- this is an absolute cracker of a game. Mm-hmm. Penrith deserve all the credit they've, they've received uh, during the year. Um, they've had a phenomenal year. Ivan Cleary and his staff and their players have done a phenomenal job, and that's difficult for a, for a Parramatta supporter to say, but they've done a great job. <laughs> yes, that's um, true. I, so this is a fascinating matchup. Look, I think there's an absolute bounce-back factor for the Roosters. If you look at their body of work over the last three years, it's just outstanding. Yeah. That, they're, they're a very competitive group of players. They have an extraordinarily strong culture. They've got an excellent head coach who will have them mentally ready for this game. Look, and when you look at the rosters, you know, it was only seven days ago that we were saying they have the best roster. Everybody was agreed that they, the Roosters probably have the best roster. So they've got quality players. They're proven in big games. I think this will be a real tight game because Penrith have got such great momentum. They're playing so well. Um, they've got a bit of, whilst they've been, you know, they've racked up some big scores, they've shown a lot of grit and defence, which they're going to need. I just think the Roosters are going to bounce back, and I, if I had to tip one, I would tip the Roosters for the for the bounce back and the quality of their roster and, and the competitive nature of their club and their strong culture. And it's it's a stat and You that... know what, Bernie? Oh, sorry, I was there just going to say... Uh, if this was not a finals match and during the season proper, I'm sure that there's a lot of people would uh, agree with that bounce back because there's in the modern game of rugby league, we've seen so many examples where a team can have a horror week and bounce back immediately the that's following true. week. And that's lesser teams than the Sydney Roosters too. Yeah, but uh, I was that's just... right. And you know, you're looking too. Sometimes you know teams will get flogged, and when you do, when you look when you analyse the game. They had 40% of possession. The week from the bounce back, they've had 60. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the week before, they may have got 40 possession on the road and they get 60% at home. And there's suddenly, there's a totally different personality around the team and the game in that particular bounce back week. And one of the the favourite statistics that likes to be banned around every year is that no team that's conceded 50 points in a regulation season game has gone on to win the Premiership. Conveniently forgetting that the uh, 2001 Newcastle Knights, much to the chagrin of us Parramatta fans, Conceded 49 points against the uh, the Cronulla Sharks in round 22 en route to their you know big premiership win that year. So if it was a team that was ever built to the, to break an arbitrary curse like the um the 50 point barrier, it would be the back to back reigning champs in the Sydney Roosters. So yeah, that sets up such a fascinating clash on Friday night for sure. Um, Absolutely. Now the the precursor, the curtain raiser, the Parramatta's game on Friday or Saturday rather, I'm getting my dates mixed up, is a interesting one because it's a it's a clash that we saw last week where the, the um, reserve-grade outfit of the Canberra Raiders sort of uh, hoisted the Sharks in their own petard. How do you see this one playing out with um, a host of you know, first-string Canberra Raider players coming back into the mix? And the Sharks, I don't think they're getting much back in terms of reinforcements. Yeah, look, I think you're going to ignore last week totally. 
um, that that game meant nothing as far as this week's game's concerned. Look, the Sharks will get Chad Townsend back. I think, I think he's a huge win for them. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Chad Townsend. I think he's a real good game manager. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's a voice of reason in the room for the Sharks. I just Look, I just think Canberra's the better team. I think they've got the better players. I think even if the Sharks play well, they probably won't win, whereas I, I, I'm pretty confident Canberra play well to their capability. They'll win the game. Look, they've got the home ground advantage. Ricky Stewart has this team, I think, this group of players primed. They're, a lot of them in the sweet spot of their careers. Ricky's got them to the grand final last year. I, I'd be absolutely surprised if Canberra don't win that game. I think Ricky will have this team very well prepared. And whilst I think the Sharks will give a pretty strong account of themselves, particularly in the first 20 or 25 minutes, I think Canberra will win it. Yeah, there's been a, I mean, understandably, there's been a narrative about how South Sydney are the team, the fear coming from the bottom four, but... Geez, you, you look at you know last year's grand finalist Jack White is such a big game player these days, and it's really hard to go past the Canberra Raiders that you know dark horse from the bottom four, isn't it? Well, it is the way they've recovered after losing Josh Hodgson, who was sort of the heartbeat of their side, particularly tactically. Everything played off Josh. Um, he was sort of the Cameron Smith of the Raiders. Uh, the way they've recovered from that, I think they've got extraordinary. They've got terrific depth. Their depth is is terrific. I think they're tough. They're gritty. They're well suited to semi-final football. There's no team in the eight that wants to play Canberra in a playoff game. They're 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 a tough, gritty team, but they've got strike in them too. You know, they've got Whiten and Cotric and Tarpany and Rapana and Nickel Clockstep. They're a very very good side. Now it doesn't mean the Sharks can bring an upset for Jay to be a real upset if they beat Canberra. I, I, I couldn't get past Canberra. That is a very. Bernie, it's it, it's interesting that you you uh, mentioned that. Uh, Return that form that they've produced since losing Josh Hodson because I was one of those people that used to believe that if you can effectively shut down Hodson, that you shut down a lot of what the Canberra Raiders offer. And I believe that since his injury, they found a new dimension to their play that makes them harder to shut down. Absolutely. It's put a bit more pressure on their halves uh, because basically the, the young fellow that's coming is Starling. He's a, he's a good dummy half runner, which adds another dimension to their game, but he plays off the deck a lot. He gives the ball to Williams and Whiten when they need it. The key the key to Canberra always, even when Hodgson was there, is they were the best dummy half running team in the competition, in my opinion. They'd get Rapana, Kotrick, Nico Klockstadt. They'd all be jumping in there, jumping out of dummy half, and then Papali and the big blockers could play off the back of that. What the Sharks are going to need to do, they're going to need to have to, they're going to have to compress up in the middle of the field. If they can stop the momentum of the dummy half running and the one-off hit-ups of the big guys like Papali, uh, that 15 metres either side of the play of the ball is critical for the Sharks. They're going to have to compress the defence and be aggressive off the line and be aggressive in the collision to stop the momentum of the, of the Raiders. And finally, week one of the finals concludes with the uh, surging South Sydney Rabbitohs hosting the uh, Newcastle Knights in what is a, a tale of two very contrasting teams across the last few rounds with the Rabbitohs, you know, triumphantly storming into the finals on the back of that historic defeat of the Sydney Roosters, whereas Newcastle Knights have sort of staggered and slumped their way through a couple of really tough losses. How do you see this one, Bernie? Look, there's been a pattern with Newcastle this year. They have a really good win. Then they go on the road. Well, they play it usually on the road. They play a team they're expected to be, expectations are high, and, you know, they get their pants pulled down. Um I don't think Newcastle is a is a is a is a mentally strong football team. I think they've got talent. Uh, when they're on, they can score points. 
um, again, and, and it's, that's not a knock on them. Um, it's it's part of their. It's the same criticism that was leveled. They're on, they're on a, bit, a bit of the same path that, that the yields. Yeah, been that's exactly where I was going to go. It's so, the same criticism leveled against us. A, you know, this, that, that's not a knock on on Newcastle. I think they're building very nicely. Quite frankly, I think the way you know the direction of their club is very good. But losing the home field advantage for this week's playoff game is monumental. The, you know, games take on personalities and. And, and the personality of the game is, is influenced by a lot of factors, but one of them is home field advantage. And Newcastle are a very, very different team at, at Hunter Stadium than they're going to be at, uh, on Sunday afternoon at ANZ. I think South will be confident at home. They'll be confident coming off last week. I think Newcastle will be very competitive in this game. Um, South have, have points in. Obviously, they put 60 on the Roosters. They put 50, over 50 on Manly. That's, they beat us 38-0. When South are on and dominating possession, if South gets Anywhere around 55% of the ball or more, their offense is very hard to handle. They run a very, very slick offense. They've got good, skillful players like Cook, Reynolds, uh, Cody Walker, of course, and some underrated skill players with Corey Allen, Campbell Graham, Gagai, these guys. Souths are a very, very skillful team. You give them the ball, they can hurt you. There's points in Souths. Um, as long as Souths come with that aggressive attitude in the forwards and give their playmakers something to play off the back of, um, I can't see them losing. And finally... And just, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, oh, sorry, uh, John. Uh, I just wanted to throw something quickly to Bernie, given that we're looking at the, the tips for uh, the finals matches. Parramatta, uh, with them playing up in Brisbane against the Storm, does that change our chances playing the Storm up in Brisbane as opposed to playing them down in Melbourne? I think, you know, maybe subconsciously we're thinking this is a neutral venue. Um, of course, we've got to get rid of the demons of the 64-10 loss at Suncorp last year to the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, when that, we were thinking then when we went up there, because I was up there, that I was catching them on a neutral venue and our preparation was excellent. Um, but again, if you... I don't know the statistics of that game, but I bet you they dominated possession substantially. Yeah. Um, look, I think we've we've got to play like we've got to have a mentality that we're going up there to win the game. We've got to we've got to we've got to think we can win. We don't want to we've got to know that we can go up there and get the job done. Um, we can't be going up there hoping to win. The fact that it's played up there is probably a, you know I'd rather play them up there than play them at Ames Park. So yeah, to your point, yes, I think it's a it, it's a it is an advantage. It's probably a small one, but, you know, you take every advantage you can. And well, I think we've got a very good supporter base up in Brisbane as yeah. well. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, and, you know, you guys have been up there. I've been up there, and the Parramatta fan base up there is probably as good as any away team you get into Suncorp. And um, 60s actually end up tying it back to the Eels perfectly because I was going to bring it back after all the other neutral game uh, previews, but it would have been remiss of me not to ask for your final word on the Parramatta-Melbourne game after giving such a wonderful breakdown of the you know the matchup uh, earlier in the podcast. So uh, do you see the Eels getting up on Saturday, mate? I do. I do. And I know, you know, it's, uh, and I'm not, I'm trying not to wear the rose-coloured glasses. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just look at the continual evolution of the team and we're, we're evolving. We're winning, we're winning ugly, which is, a, in my view, a good uh, incremental gain and a development piece of, of the development of our team. Um, the key is we know Melbourne are going to be well prepared. We know they're going to play well. So we're going to have to play. We're going to have to bring our A game. And I, again, it, it comes back to 
we need to, our defensive uh, line, our defensive line speed has to be very quick. We have to be very aggressive to let them know they're in a game, win the collision, and then our kicking game has to be superb. You get those two things right, I think there'll be enough points in us um, to get away with it. It's, it's going to be a tight, terrific game, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how our, you know, we've got pretty much our, the best team we can put on the field this week. Um, and Melbourne are likewise. So this is going to be an absolutely cracking game. But if we can win this game, it's another it's another notch in our gun belt. Bernie, it's been brilliant to have you join us for the uh, special edition, special preview edition of the tip sheet this week. And while we've got you there, uh, we'd love for you to join us for a preview of Parramatta's next match, whether that be uh, next weekend or the weekend after. Is, uh, would you be free to join us then? Yeah, I'd love to join you, Craig. It's been a, a wonderful experience, Bernie. It's always humbling as a as an armchair coach on a you know podcast, you know, talking a lot of um, rubbish for about an hour every week to have someone as experienced and as storied in the game come in and have a chat for us. So thank you greatly for coming on, mate. It's been my pleasure, guys. Talk soon. Have a wonderful day. Right. Same to you. Yeah. How good was that, mate? That was sensational. Absolutely wonderful experience to have Bernie on the tip sheet. And um, I, f- I feel sorry for our loyal listeners to go from that incredibly high level of analysis down to our, as I said before to Bernie, the um, the armchair coaches of the tip sheet. But um, nonetheless, we do have to get through our quick rundown of what's going to happen on Saturday night. So let's quickly get into what the teams look like. Um, obviously, Parramatta fans are going to have a fairly good idea of what our lineup looks like, but I'll quickly go through it. Um, Quinton Garveson, Captain Eels from the back. Mike Acevo, Blake Ferguson on the flanks with Michael Jennings and Wonga Blake in the centres. Uh, huge, huge in for the Eels at the 5-8 with Dylan Brown partnering Mitchell Moses in the halves. Front row sees Reagan Campbell-Gillard back from his rest game and he'll be uh, bookending Reed Mining of Junior Paulo. Sean Lane named in the back row, but last two games has come off the bench prior to kickoff, so look for that to maybe be tinkered with uh, before kickoff, but he'll be there named to Fry Madison and Nathan Brown. On the bench, Will Smith's great form across the last couple of weeks has seen him rewarded with a finals berth, and he'll be on the interchange with Andrew Davey, Kane Evans, and Murata Niakore. Uh, should there be any injuries or selection shenanigans, you've got Ray Stone, Brad Takarangi, Oregon Kafusi, and Daniel Alvaro rounding out the team list Tuesday 21. On the flip side, Melbourne are almost back to full strength. Um, they've named a formidable lineup that features Ryan Pappenhusen at fullback, Suliasi Vunavalu and Josh Adokar on the flanks. Branko Lee and Justin Olam are in the centres. Uh, Cameron Munster, their big game player, is in the halves of Jerome Hughes. Jesse Bromwich and Christian Welch are bookending the, uh, I suppose some will call him the GOAT, the um, the greatest hook of the game's ever seen in Cameron Smith. Uh, Felice Kafusi and, uh, sorry, Kenneth Bromwich, Round out the edge with Nelson Sofa Solomona locking the scrum. Uh, on the interchange bench, you've got Brandon Smith. I'm going to butcher this, but uh, big Tino Farsa Amor Ali. Uh, and Tom Eisenhew and Nico Hines, utility back uh, on the interchange for the Storm. Darren Shonig, Isaac Lume Lume, Albert Vete and Rowie Jacks rounding out their shadow bench. Mate, it's, uh, it's a very strong team from the Melbourne Storm. Yeah. But as Bernie said, that's pretty much the, the top full-strength Parramatta side. I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely pumped for this week. There's, I know there's been quite a bit of noise around the odds that are there for Parramatta and how they're reflective of the poor chance that we have in this final series. But personally, I can't believe that a third-place team would be at odds of over 20-1 to 1. 
and have teams in the bottom half of the eight shorter odds for the chance of the title than what than what the Eels are. I can't believe it, but I don't mind it. Yeah, well, we're not, we're not ones that advocate, you know, the old gambling, but having a flutter on the Eels both in the head-to-head this week and then in the futures for the Premiership is not the worst value you're going to get in the NRL finals, that's for sure. Yeah, so if you're a Parramatta supporter and you're not excited about this week, if you're not excited about the Eels' chances, I, I don't know what I don't know what you need in your life as an Eels supporter to have you have have you pumped, have you excited, have you looking forward to this week's encounter? Now, one one thing we didn't really talk about with Bernie, he mentioned the result briefly um, when talking about our record against top eight teams. But these two teams did meet back in round 15, if I'm not mistaken, and the Eels prevailed 14-0 over a, a pretty understrength Melbourne Storm outfit. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. They were understrength. And insofar as I'm missing a couple of real key playmakers in Cameron Munster and, and Cameron Smith. And I think eventually uh, uh, their halfback, Jerome Hughes, was also ruled out prior to kickoff. However, one area in which they were relatively full strength, barring uh, the absence of Jesse Bromwich, was their forward pack. And the Eels handled the, uh, the physicality pretty well then. Do you think that set them up for this Saturday night? It had to give some confidence to the Parramatta forwards. And let's face it, that when Parramatta has had their best form this year, ignore the ignore the form of some of Parramatta's outside backs on those. The platform was laid in the middle. And what we've seen over the last two weeks from the Parramatta forwards has been that improvement in in doing the in having patience in in winning the middle before the ball starts getting moved around and that's what we're heading that's what we need to get back to against the storm winning that middle against the storm is absolutely critical bernie mentioned in his assessment of the teams about how melbourne open a game now if you've only ever watched melbourne on the television you're doing yourself a disservice because to see them live especially in the opening 15 to 20 minutes where they throw salvo after salvo of attack at a team, you have to see it to believe it because you've got bodies in motion everywhere. You've got the speed of the play is phenomenal. If the, if the Eels are to win this, that first 15 to 20 minutes and holding strong in the centre and making good defensive decisions from the centre outwards – is going to be critical because there will be questions asked. So that, that, yes, the Parramatta Middles, in doing what they did against the Melbourne Storm before, has to give them confidence, and it has to be the blueprint. Even though it was an understrength Melbourne team, it's going to be part of the blueprint of getting victory over the Storm. And that, that's a, that first 20 minutes that both you and Bernie have touched on is absolutely massive because if I just go back and look at recent history... And um, sorry, I gotta go. I've got the finals game up, but it's got to pull up the round nine magic round game as well. Uh, in the in the thirty two nil blot out we saw in round two of the finals last year, the Storm scored four of their seven tries within the first twenty, and five of their first seven within the uh, first twenty seven. They that opening barrage, that blitzkrieg, was what really knocked the Eels on the back foot and onto their asses. Really, if you're going to be honest. And if you go back yeah. to Magic Round, uh, all their damage... No, no the, the Magic Round was a little bit different, I suppose, because they did do a bit of damage towards the back end, but still, they scored three tries in the, uh, the first 30 minutes, but two in the first 17, where it was that huge blitz of possession that really you know, took us out of the game. So, like you said, 
getting onto the front foot, getting into the contest, locking horns in that first 15, 20, and, and ideally taking the ascendancy on the scoreboard. But if not, keeping it close, that's going to be absolutely massive for the Eels. Yeah, and one thing that supporters should bear in mind as well, that with that sort of opening blitzkrieg that Melbourne offer, there will be times when the Eels' defence, any defence that plays against Melbourne, when they're on song with that opening uh, 20 minutes, there are going to be times where you look like you're scrambling in defence. You have to absolutely hang in there because there will be times where they stretch you. And this is where some of the what Bernie talked about with Parramatta's mentality has to kick in because if they can if they can scramble, much like that game against Penrith where it was scramble, scramble, scramble and doing everything right to the last minute to stop a try being scored, that whether it be the hand getting out there and blocking the ball, whether it be grabbing a player uh, just as he's about to score, every, every effort there to prevent a, a try being scored is perhaps a nail in Melbourne's coffin because mm-hmm. the more you can hang in there against the storm, the greater the chance that you have because the fact remains, even though they are well-renowned for being good at strangling a, a, a team out of a, out of a win, they are just as renowned for blowing that team away in that opening 20 minutes. So the scramble, the the mindset of we can do this, that has to be paramount for the Eels. Now, Bernie mentioned something that I was of like mind with, and that was right at the start of the podcast where he hailed the NRL as one of the greatest soap operas in the world. And in that sort of um, thought or that line of thought, I, I love my storylines, my plot lines that come into these big games. And you can't talk about Saturday night without telling the story of Dylan Brown, who channeled you know, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, with his healing factor, setting a, an, a record established by the um, NRL Physio on Twitter, at NRL Physio, who's been charting syndesmosis injuries across the last few years. And Dylan Brown's five-week post-surgery recovery uh, pips Daly Cherry Evans five and a half weeks as the new NRL standard, the gold standard, for returning from such a serious injury. What do we think Dylan's going to do on Saturday? How, how much of a factor can he be, given that he's come back in record time from an injury that usually puts the kibosh on a season for a player, you know, as far as 8 to 12 weeks often? Dylan's not going to play unless both he and the Parramatta physio believe that he's ready. So if there's the slightest chance that he's not 100%, he won't play. So that's the first thing. So when you have Dylan Brown taking the field on Saturday night, you know that he's ready to play and you know that there's that it's not an issue of getting through the game a la Cooper Cronk in the uh, Roosters grand final with his, his major shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that sort of thing from Dylan Brown. If Dylan Brown plays, he's absolutely all in. So... Even go back to, it's a horrible game to go back to, but the game where he was injured against South Sydney, even when he was injured, he was he was giving absolutely everything. <laughs> so if he's taking the field, they're not going to risk him taking the field with an injury. Forget about the fact that he played on with the injury in that game. He just wouldn't come off. They will be guided by, not only by Dylan, who will be very sensible with this, but also by the team physio. From the time that Dylan Brown first came into first grade and he had very early on the problems with his back, they didn't rush him they didn't rush him back into the team. And it wasn't as if they were in a situation where the person taking his place was going to keep Dylan Brown's place. Because as soon as Dylan Brown was fit, 
he was straight back into the Eels' first-grade team last year. So if he plays, as I said, he's going to be ready and it's going to be because the physio believes he's ready. And if he's playing, he's all in. So I'm expecting to get a typical Dylan Brown game. Now, when I write about the uh, the match preview in, in very broad strokes in my team was Tuesday blog, I um, you know tend to approach it from a, a broad angle, hence the sweeping strokes. But this week I talked about how everyone needs to be at their best. That goes without saying. Blake Ferguson, Wanga Blake can't have those defensive miscues that's plagued them this year. Mitchell Moses needs to be in his element. He needs to be you know finding range on the long and short kicking games. He needs to be digging into lines and setting that stand on the edges attacking. So obviously one to seventeen, we need to be at our best. But I said I, I went one beyond that. I said even even considering that. Perhaps we're still going to need a superstar performance or two from someone in that roster to get us over the line. Who do you think is going to step up to the plate and be the X factor, be the difference maker when you look at our lineup and you look at Melbourne's? Mitch Moses. Mm-hmm. Mitch Moses. I think he's he's showing all the 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 trending is there. We talked about it in the podcast on the weekend. He's he's trending upwards in his performances. If the forwards lay that platform, and don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that a player like Junior Paulo or Regan Campbell Gillard or Nathan Brown won't go close to winning a man of the match performance in, in winning the middle. However, I think that Mitchell Moses is going to be the one to play off the back of that. If he's taking on the line, he's if he's straightening the attack. He's going to be the key, and I think that uh, he has it within his potential to bust the game open. I, I agree that I think when I look at the balance of things, that our hopes will live and die on the game of Mitchell Moses. So I think that he's almost like the you know the automatic selection there. But if I were to look beyond him, there's two names I've got, um, and obviously Mitchell being the primary selection here, so he's the gold medal when it comes to being the X Factor. Yeah. But the two that come to my mind are, I think that in a game against Melbourne Storm, opportunities to to score and take the lead are going to be few and far between. So you need to, A, maximize your ability to create those opportunities and B, capitalize completely on those opportunities when they do present themselves. So that brings me to two players. And the first one is Junior Paulo, who I think is the guy that can create the opportunities perhaps more than any other player that isn't named Mitchell Moses. And I, I dare say that a huge amount of Melbourne's defensive plan will be predicated on locking up his ability to create quality second phase play. Uh, Bellamy is, you know, obviously the the at the head of um, the Brad Arthur coaching tree in terms of where Brad's come from as an NRL coach and that whole ability to take away opposition's best uh, performers and, and best weapons is absolutely something that Brad has taken from Bellamy. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that then inflicted upon us on Saturday. And on the flip side, the ability to finish those chances means that I can only think of one player in our lineup that, you know, you need him to be on his A game. You need him to break the sort of the individual level hoodoo that he has against the Melbourne Storm, and that's Mike Acevo. I think that he needs to be there to to take whatever opportunity comes his way and to bulldoze his way into the the, uh, the uh, I was about to say end zone, giving me watching the NFL, but over the try line whenever that chance presents itself for him. Yeah, uh, I I agree entirely. And just just to that end, with regard to Mike Acevo, I'm going to come back to Dylan Brown. There was a statistic that was put up, and I can't remember which show it was, but it was. Uh, I think it might have been on uh, NRL tonight. And the examination was of the five-eighths of the teams that are in the finals. And the statistic that was given was tries and try assists. And 
Dylan Brown was the lowest in number for those categories for the five eight still involved in in this season's uh, final series. However, what I know about uh, Dylan Brown in terms of his five eight play is that what he does in his position is he ends up creating opportunities for Michael Jennings and Mike Acevo. So when you have Mike Acevo scoring his tries as he does, it's generally as a, as a result of the work done by Dylan Brown, whether it be getting the, getting the ball to Gutherson chiming in, whether it be feeding to Sean Lane, whether it be the cutout pass to Michael Jennings or, or even all the way out to, out to Acevo. What's generated by him may not produce a statistic, but he is critical to our left side attack. Excellent analysis. And, and uh, it's it's not the sort of thing that shows up in those sorts of statistics. But I'm going to take Dylan Brown as our five eight for that left side of the field any day of the week against the other, and, and that's with respect to the five eights for all the teams because you, obviously you you're talking about uh, great five eights like uh, Keery and um, and uh, Munster. Yeah, the man he's lining so up not, against this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not saying that that uh, I don't rate those five eights. My goodness, they're top of the tree. But for for our team and our structure, Dylan Brown is critical, and he is a he is a big in. And in you nominating Mike Acebo, I I agree with you entirely because whatever's created inside of him. He does need to ice, and there are there there have been times recently where space has been created for him around the middle of the field or slightly at our end of the field, and I think he's needed to do more when the ball's been given to him with a little bit of space. That is excellent, excellent points there. Now, the last thing I was going to touch on is that Bernie made a cheeky little reference to it, and it's something I've been thinking of throughout the week. And it was in that 2017 game where Mitchell Moses and, and Will Smith linked up with that cracking little inside decoy, like sort of fake decoy play where, you know, uh, Moses shapes the inside pass, then looks outside, but then flicks it back on the inside across his body in, in one of the more death-defying feats of gravity you can see in the NRL in terms of the ball manipulation. Um, how much do you think the Eels have been holding up their sleeves for a game like this? Because obviously they've had their offensive woes, their offensive miscues, but conversely, you'd think that they've got trick shots ready to deploy against a team like Melbourne Storm. So have have we shown our full armoury of attack? Is basically your question. Yes, for, for eels uh, for eels supporters, I think any team that has ambitions to win the competition will keep something up their sleeve. And I and I don't think that's I don't think that's giving anything away. I think that's just common sense that that any team is going to show a little bit more something because this is the business end of the season. So that's why when I've been looking at the last couple of weeks of of uh, not only how Parramatta has been playing but how they've been training, that there's been a definite increase in energy. There's been a definite increase in um, the speed at which they've uh, played the game. And I think we're going to see a a game from Parramatta which will threaten the Melbourne defence. 
I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna see a, a, a. Although I'm not. I'm not suggesting necessarily that you're gonna see a high, high-scoring match. I do think that Parramatta will threaten and will cross the Melbourne Storm line, with an attack that will be, uh, will challenge the Storm. Well, since Smithy's in the team, in the vein of that original line of thought, that question, if you indulge me just a little bit in this fantasy, what would blow your mind more? If we successfully pulled that exact play off again and he scores near the posts, or if we do the same play, but Moses doubles the dummy to the inside and plays outside and we score? Well, with any play, there are options within the play. That's that's critical to because everyone's everyone's got a lot of teams have similar playbooks and whether it be the block plays or whatever whatever variations when you look at a game of rugby league you see a lot of similarities across teams however where teams differ is they have different variations and options and whether that be because of the strength of particular players in their team or uh, whether it be that uh it's, it's something that the coach has come up with a, a unique uh, option to the play. Whatever the case may be, there are variations. So I think if anything is on the cards, mate. If, <laughs> if, if, if there's going to be, there are going to be uh, options. Uh, I remember years ago talking to one of the coaches and we were discussing a particular play and he, he explained that Okay, we've got that as the standard, uh, the standard play. We've got five variations on it, five options that we that, that the players might go to, and that's even throwing aside a player having what's called what we call the old eyes up football. That something presents itself that isn't in the a unique, a unique opportunity in, during the course a of the game. Unique opportunity. That's it. So. Even even a, a play might a set move might start off and something comes up that's unexpected in the defensive decision, and you have a you you have something more unique that's produced as a result of the player playing eyes up football. Exactly, mate. Now let's get to the verdict. Uh, judgment time. Make your call. Call your shot. How's it going to play out? Seven fifty p.m. kickoff Saturday night. Parramatta Eels versus the Melbourne Storm. Two versus three. It's not for all the marbles, but it's for a place in the game before the grand final. You get one, you're one game out from the grand final. How do you see it, mate? We haven't touched on Ashley Klein, have we? <laughs> I'd rather not. Maybe if we if we ignore him, we can do the opposite of speaking him into existence. We can ignore him into non-factor territory. <laughs> uh, look, the only thing I'm going to say about Ashley is he is a referee that referees completely without bias. And I think uh, we'll we'll go with we'll go with that that he he referees without any any sort of bias. But the saving of, saving grace this week is that it's not yeah. the uh, the Ashley Klein Henry Perinara main official senior video official Wombo combo. It's Steve Chitty in the box, so um, yeah. we won't be yeah. subjected to the um the uh, the horror show that was the Rabbitohs Dogs game tended into our game uh, the week the same weekend. So yeah, yeah. So look. Uh, Ash Ash makes the odd error here and there, and uh, he's he's probably not the Eels' favourite referee. But I'd suggest he's he's not the favourite referee of a of a number of clubs. Which, as I said, it's it's he he referees 
he referees what he sees. He makes a few errors. So uh, we'll we'll roll with that. And okay, so what I see is a fairly tight contest. I think it's going to be a four point four game either way. And uh, whether that be to the Storm or the Eels, that's for uh, people to make their call if they uh, if they agree with me on that on that narrow margin. Of course, I'm going to look for ways that Parramatta's going to win. So I'm going to suggest that the final score will be Parramatta 18, Storm 14. Yeah, on the, the Parra podcast, the other podcast I do on Tuesdays with the fellas, I said um, this is very very much a case of the head versus the heart where you know, empirical evidence historically suggests that the Melbourne Storm will get over. But, you know, you look at the heart and, you know, Parramatta's been battling and battling and putting themselves in a position to maybe spring the upset this week. And you're not a real Parramatta fan if you don't back of your heart this week. And, I mean, yes, you can have all your bugbears and gripes about our offense and why our right-edge defense is going to cost us the game. And that may very well come to be, you know, come to fruition, come to be. But you can't go into this game and not back the Parramatta Reels. And on that podcast, I said 22-16, and I'm going to stand by that. I think um, four tries to three and, you know, Mitchell Moses' goal-kicking, helping us get to that uh, full full score extended lead. So 22-16, uh, go the Eels, eh? Yeah, so we're, we're think we've got a similar mentality on the game and there's there's not going to be too much in it. It's not going to be ultra-high scoring. It's, it's going to seem like a fairly typical uh, points result in, in terms of rugby league that, that sort of twenty to to uh, twenty points by one team winning by four to six points against the other team. So I think we're very much on the same page there. And just to what you said before about being a Parramatta supporter and 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 being having the uh, taking a positive stance on on this result. Of course, we're going to. We're ill supporters. It's, I mean, why, why, why not dare the dream in the finals? That's what I ask. I, I can understand having trepidations and having reservations and taking the realistic approach, but, you know, it's a whole new ball game in the finals. We're here. We've got two bites at the cherry. I mean, yeah, yes, you know, you hate to be burned, but if you're not going to dream, why, why follow sports? Like, why, why get in for the ride if you're not going to dream of taking it all? That, that's my, mate, my way of looking yeah. at it. Mate, absolutely. We have for so many years been looking on as other teams and their supporters get to experience and enjoy final series football. We've now had that same experience ourselves for three out of the last four seasons, and it's a hell of a lot better than having the season already over at this point in time. And the people who are, let's use inverted commas, realist supporters who, who, who brand themselves as being rooted in reality and say that we've got no chance and, oh, we're going to go out in, in straight weeks. How about you just enjoy the roller coaster ride that Paramount is providing for us this season and the fact that we've still got a, we've still got at least two matches ahead of us in this season. And I'm, I'm going to back us all the way, mate. I've, I've bought my grand final tickets this week. And whether they get into the grand final or not, I'm quite happy that, that I've spent the money to get grand final tickets. And uh, if, if if they happen to get all the way to the grand final, how great will that be? Exactly. And on that wham-bam, thank you, ma'am note, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up, eh? Yes, mate. It's It's been great to have 
an extra edition of the tip sheet. We hope people have enjoyed our special guest, Bernie Gurr, and, and be able to look ahead and know that whether it be in one week's time or two weeks' time, we're going to have Bernie joining us again for another yeah, preview absolutely of the massive, Parramatta Finals. Match. Massive for the tip sheet. And I suppose depending on how the result goes on Saturday night and how wide we are post-game, there's a chance of an immediate reaction podcast, I guess. But uh, odds are it'll probably be up on Sunday as we break down all the action from that 7.50pm kickoff, eh? Yes, although I'm starting to lean towards... There could be an immediate reaction. If, 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 if it's that good, if it's that good a game, that big a win, I think the the odds of the immediate reaction podcast are very good. So um, stay tuned based on those results, and and you know just enjoy the ride, guys. Thanks for being along for for us throughout the course of the twenty twenty regulation season. Now let's get into those finals. <laughs> 